Last week we talked about Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Are you there in your Bibles? Look with me at Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Last week we saw that we, we all have a constructed self. That's what's being crucified there when Paul says, I've been crucified. is my idea of myself, my story of myself. And the story of ourself, this, this idea that we have of ourself, is what justifies us in our own eyes and we hope in the eyes of others and maybe when we think about it on Sunday morning, we hope in the eyes of God too. It's the, it's the story that convinces us, at least, that listen, I'm okay. I'm okay. Hey, you know what? I do this bad stuff, but look at what I've gone through. I'm okay. Right? We've got this narrative that we tell ourselves that justifies ourselves in the language of Galatians. That makes us feel like we're right and we're in the right group. And that story is so fundamental, right? We talked about this at the beginning of last week's sermon. Like, you know, do you like crafts? Do you like games? Do you like sports? Well, you know, all of that is shaped by our idea of who we are. So very, very nuanced and fine-grained aspects of our life are shaped by our idea of ourself. And what we saw last week, what Paul says here at the beginning, I was crucified with Christ. The cross reveals that to be a lie. Right? The cross is, is this, this, giant, this giant mess on the floor, right? We're all going through life going, okay, I know it looks bad, but they did this and they did this and they did this, and this is why they're bad and why I'm okay. And, and God points to the cross and says, well, then who did that? Who did that? How'd that get there? Right? Was it just them? Or was it you? But I thought you were good. I thought you were, I thought you were this, this, this tragic victim who's, who's overcome all these sufferings to be this wonderful thing that you are. Uh, how, how'd that get there then? Right, so the cross tells us that this, this whole narrative is a lie. So Paul says, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. That's the message of the cross. And that's the the truth that our story here, that our new identity needs to begin with. We're going to be talking this week, last week, this week, maybe for a couple more weeks, about Christian identity and about how to be a Christian in a competition with other things that are trying to lay claim to our identity and trying to help us tell our story in contradiction to the story that God wants us to live by. And our identity begins here with the cross. But this morning we're going to look at what Paul pushes into next, which is a sort of an additional truth. We might say the, the whole truth. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right, if, if I've been crucified with Christ, then who runs the show? Right? Who inhabits the interpretive center, right? Who's sitting at the console? Uh, what's the Pixar movie? In, inside Out? Is that what it is? Yeah. Right, who's sitting at the console there, uh, making sense of things and responding to things? Who's at, who's, at the, uh, who's at operational control, controlling the operations of our life? Who's there if I've been crucified with Christ? Who helps me then make sense of myself and my life and my story for me? And the answer here is Who? Jesus Christ. Christ lives in me. Here is, here is the most important thing. This is what we're going to hover around today and, and for the next couple of weeks. 
Your identity is now defined by your relationship to Jesus. Your identity is defined by your relationship to Jesus. So we've been talking about operational control, and we want to turn operational control over to Jesus, but that's not really happening, right? So it may be more realistic to talk about um, operational influence, how, how Jesus influences the operation of our life. It's kind of like getting a roommate for the first time. So imagine that you've got your own apartment and it's just you in there. And it's just been in you in there for a while. Not like a couple of weeks, maybe a couple months, maybe several years. And then you get a new roommate. They're going to have an opinion about things, aren't they? Now we get a roommate in Jesus in our operational center who's way more concerned about some things that we're not concerned with and way less concerned about some other things that we're really wrapped up with. You know, the roommate comes in, and what's the first thing the roommate's going to say when he comes into your apartment? He's going to say, it smells funny in here. It's just, right, everybody's got their own thing, right? He's going to say, it smells funny in here, trust me. He's going he's to wander around for a minute, he's going to go, you need a kitchen table, Guys, right? You remember that moment when somebody graciously said, you need a kitchen table. Trust me. (laughs) I don't know that you need to be so worried about the cleanliness of your ceiling. It's just not a big deal. Trust me. You don't need to vacuum the ceiling here. There's some things that you're not interested in that that your new roommate's going to be like, hey, what's in that closet? And you're like, no, nothing. He's like, it smells funny. No, it's okay. Don't look in there, Jesus. And Jesus will be like, well, if I, if I live here now, right? And there's going to be some things that you're like, we've got to just this. You know, you're vacuuming all the time. And Jesus is like, can you please stop vacuuming so much? Why are you vacuuming so much? You get the idea here. Jesus is now the defining presence in your story. See, some days you're going to go out to coffee with your friends and you're going to be down and, and they're going to say, why? And you're going to say, Oh, this roommate. And some days some days you're going to be like, "Oh man, this roommate is the greatest thing ever." But your life is now going to be defined by the presence of that roommate. So who am I now then with Jesus in my life? I'm his. I I am now I am a citizen in the kingdom of the King of Kings. I'm a child of the God of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple. I'm being mentored and taught by Jesus. I'm a servant. I live for His glory. He, he calls me His friend. These are now a, a few of the ways the Bible talks about who we are now because Jesus is in our life. If Jesus is in your life, how are you not going to be a disciple and be mentored by Jesus. If Jesus is in your life, how are you not going to see yourself as a citizen of a more glorious kingdom than any one that this world has ever seen? How are you not going to start seeing yourself differently if Jesus is in your life? Who am I? I'm all these things, and they're completely restructured because of Jesus. Where have, where have I been in my life? He's going to retell your story. Here's you thinking, oh, all of these ways that I was a victim and all of these, these things that I get to do because of it or all of these ways I've overcome it and how virtuous I am. And now you're going to look on your whole story and you say, you know what, all these things that I thought were bad was just the path for bringing me to Jesus. It's a completely different story. 
Rather than the story of how great I am, the story about how I needed Jesus and my path showed me this. And I'm so thankful for all of these things, even the hard ones. And what do I exist for? Well, your story answers that. I exist to be a dad. I exist to be this successful person. I exist because I love to collect these or whatever the thing is. And now all of that is subsumed under this relationship and say, I exist for him. I exist for his glory. And I exist to to help other people see his glory. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. That means what it means now to be I, my true identity, is defined by this relationship. I mean, this is really the key truth that Paul's saying here. The key truth this morning, we're going to finish with this truth as well. This is the story of your life, your true identity. You are Christ's. You are His. You are Christ's. That's who you are. This is such a big deal. You know, a lot of people can think about Jesus and the gospel and what is being offered to us in Scripture as if uh, Jesus just does some stuff to help us. Like, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for Jesus because he forgave my sins. And, boy, you got sins? Oh, man, it's so nice to have your sins forgiven. Just get your sins forgiven by Jesus and you're, and you're, you're good, right? Or, uh, Jesus, he really helped me out of this jam I was in. Are you in a jam? Jesus can help you out of a jam. And certainly, Jesus forgives our sins and Jesus helps us out of jams. But when Jesus comes into our life, right, Jesus gives himself to us completely. And he receives us completely. When we come to him, we say, save me. And he picks us up and he brings us in. It's a complete, it's a complete relationship. It becomes, that's why it becomes the central life-defining thing. You know, it's not just like signing up for some sort of sweepstakes where, uh, you know, Oprah is going to pay for you to get a, like a total life makeover. You're going to go to the Bahamas and you're going to get tanned up and you're going to go shopping and it's all going to be televised and stuff. It's like you sign up for the sweepstakes and you get that. And then, but you also get control of, uh, what's her company? You know, the big Oprah, the whole, the whole company. And you have to take care of Oprah too. Like, she's like, you get a sell, you get the whole thing. You'd be like, wow, this is amazing, but... This is a big thing. This is, this is going to change your life because even if you're like, you know what, I don't want to do this stuff. I'm not going to do it right. Everybody that meets you, you know what their, their question is going to be? How's Oprah doing? You're going to be defined by this relationship with, I got to get new people, right? I'm talking like I'm from the 90s. That's, that's, that's what I was thinking. That's, I don't know. Who, who's the new Oprah? Kids, tell me who the new Oprah is or Google Oprah and then tell me who, who Oprah is. This is this life-changing gift, this life-changing relationship. Right now, everybody, everything in your life is going to be, how's Oprah doing? How, how's that relationship? Jesus is coming to our life. Jesus is a bajillion, I think, is a safe multiplier, times more glorious and great than Oprah, who's a bajillion times more glorious and great than me. Uh, when he comes into your life, it's a big deal. It becomes the defining relationship of your life. All right, so, so Christ is in you. What does Jesus do in you? What does he do in your life when he comes into it? Uh, another way to ask this is, how do you know if Jesus is in your life? And Paul answers this in this next phrase. He says, Christ lives in me, and so the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
You live your life in the flesh by faith in Jesus. And so we need to talk about the struggle of living life in the flesh by faith. This is the fruit of Jesus being in our lives. Is the, the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith. And this is a struggle. Our faith is lived in flesh, right? This is, the, this is why we have the book of Galatians. Like, they're, they're, the problem of Galatians are how to live faithfully with bodies, right? Literally, we're talking about circumcision, which is related to the body. <laughs> and we're talking about uh, who to eat with, who to have lunch with, lunch table decisions, who to shake hands with and sit with and be seen with and eat together with. Right? Bodies and, and our brains as part of our bodies, these things complicate and frustrate and confuse our spiritual longings. Don't they? You think, I, I want to love and serve Jesus. I want to have a cookie and take a nap. I'm not, how do these things relate? It's confusing. But we don't get to follow Jesus other than with bodies. Despite the, uh, the hopes and dreams of the Eastern religions, this is it. Our faith is lived out in flesh, which is great because our flesh lives by faith. When you look at it from the other angle, right? what do you do with your money, what you do with your time, what you do with your health? All of those things are determined by the, the promises that are before you and your hope in them. If I spend this money on this product, this will happen. If I listen to this person, this will come into my life. We live, we actually operate, all of our decisions are guided by faith. Putting our faith in people and things and purchases and programs and plans and ideas and hopes and our flesh is lived by faith. So the truth is that Christ lives in me. The struggle is that uh, it's hard to see sometimes. It's hard to see my flesh life changed by faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's argument here in the book of Galatians is that since Christ is in you, you will live by faith. That's what Christ is doing in you. He's saying, you can trust me, come on. That's what Christ is doing in us, helping us live by faith. So the next phrase then explains why we will live by faith, or maybe you can think about it as the motive for why we are going to live by faith. He says, uh, you're going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now I want you to notice something here. Uh, how did Paul refer to, to Jesus in verse 20 first? What does he say? I have been crucified with Christ. Wake up. Uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Christ, Son of God. What's going on there? Why does he shift? Is he just getting bored of writing Christ? Why does he shift? He's trying to spotlight something else about Jesus, right? He wants to shine the spotlight now on Jesus' connection with God. He's the Son of God. In order to convey to the Galatians and to us that this program, the program of faith, is God's plan. This is God's thing. It has God's approval and it has God's backing. Right? Who's going to guarantee this loan? God. So this is the plan. As opposed to the uh, conflict entrepreneurs, the, the people from James who are causing this trouble in Galatia, who are saying, God's plan is for you to do X, Y, and Z so that you're right with God. 
And Paul says, God's plan is for Jesus to do X, Y, Z. And you need to trust Jesus. It's a very different plan. This is the plan, though. He's the Son of God. This is God backing this plan. He's backing faith. Right? We don't always love faith. We would rather, we just, we want the glory. We want people to know that we're right, that we did it by ourselves, and we want everybody to behold our glory and to lift us up with, in song, right? This is how we want life to go, but it doesn't go that way. That's not the way. God wants us to trust His Son. We must trust. You know, one other thing that the Son of God phrase points to is Jesus' role as the agent of God's power. Like God Himself does not exert power anymore except through the power of His Son. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, you remember this? All authority, all is mine. Right? You know what's on the side of, of Jesus' work truck? The Son gets it done. It's all His. So we must trust. We must trust Jesus. We also see an emphasis here, a re- repetition, right? Uh, the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's kind of saying the same thing a little bit differently. The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, when you talk to somebody, when I talk to you guys, you talk to me about faith, about trusting God, that makes sense on paper, right? Because God's really strong. And like, oh, yeah, okay. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere, right? All of the attributes of God. And you're like, you know, yeah, okay. I can see that I should trust God, but why don't we? Why do we hesitate? Why do we hang back? Why do we get so shook by the social order, you know, that we revert from our beliefs with our behaviors, it's because our heart doesn't buy it. Our head understands faith is what we should do, but our heart doesn't buy it. You know, faith actually hinges on the core question of, of does he love me though? I get that he's big and strong. I get that he's, that he's smart and everywhere, but does he love me? And what Paul emphasizes here is he calls us to faith as he says, the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. Jesus loves us. We can, tr- we must trust Him. We can trust Him because He loves us and He proved it. And when did He prove it, by the way? Did He prove it after He met you? Did He prove it after, you know, you bought Him lunch and then He buys you lunch the next time? Is that how this worked? Well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loves us. He proved it. You know, there's something about faith that I think we, we, we need to be honest about. Faith is, uh, faith is self-interested. You know, it's, it's very much looking to Jesus and, and putting ourselves into his hands, but it's for our own sake that we're doing this. Right? So we must trust God. We think, you know, here we are, we're saying, trust God. Do I have to trust God? Okay, I must trust God. Can I trust God? Is He trustworthy? Okay, I can trust God. But there's still this question, do I want to trust this person? Do I want to? Which is the question of where are they taking me? If I trust them, where is this relationship going to go? Do I want to go? Let me see if this is the next slide. Do I want to go where they say that they're taking me? So now we come to Kind of the, the result of this. 
What happens when Christ lives us, lives in us, and we live our lives by faith? What happens? You know what happens? Christ lives in us. Where does faith take us? Okay, so think with me about faith for just a second here. Faith, what faith is, is it connects us and Jesus. So now there's a connection between us and Jesus. So on the one hand, as we already saw, my identity is now defined by my relationship to Jesus. But on the other hand, his identifying traits now flow into my life. So my identity is now defined by my roomie, the person inside the operational command with me, Jesus, and his identifying traits flow into my life. This is, uh, first of all, by supernatural magic, right? The Spirit is doing this, but the Spirit uses natural processes, the natural processes of faith. Right? Because I'm trusting Jesus, because I'm trusting his way, I become like his identifying traits come into my life. Right? Think about your relationship with your favorite uh, media personality. You know, your favorite podcaster or the show you watch. That, right? I bet your spouse, I bet people in your life can tell when you've watched a certain person or program right? or read a certain author. Like, there's, a certain, there's a certain podcaster that I listen to that I, I, I can tell in my own life, as soon as I finish a, a, couple of, a couple hours of his podcasting and I go and I talk with my wife, all of a sudden I sound like a Canadian psychologist. You know, I'm just, well, I'm just really like, and I'm just like, this isn't me, but I'm having fun with it. You know? But his identifying traits come into my life. Because I'm listening to him and I'm, I'm trusting him and I'm trusting his way. So now, when, when Christ dwells in us and we live our life in the flesh by faith in him, who do we become like? We become like Christ. We become, is that, is that awesome or is that not awesome? Where, do you, where are you at on that? Is that a great thing? Hmm. Do you want to be like Christ? Let's think about, a little bit about what Christ is like, right? I become like Christ. I become like, what do we know about Christ so far in this verse even? Let's just start there. He loved me and he gave himself for me. So I become like somebody who loves and is generous. Wouldn't you love to be somebody who's nice and generous instead of whatever this is, right? (laughs) I would love to be somebody who loves people and is generous. You become somebody who does what is right, right? The whole point of... Galatians chapter 2 is that Jesus did it right. You become somebody who does it right. More and more you do it right. And when you do it wrong, you do it wrong right. Right? There's a way to do it wrong that's right. You go through the good things right. You go through the bad things and the hard things right. You start to do it right. I'd love to do it right. You become somebody who tells the truth. And who's able to talk about the Savior. Just like Jesus did. In his life, you become somebody who prays for sinners and teaches them grace. You tell me these aren't things you long to be. You become somebody who lives to God. What Paul says in chapter 2, verse 19, I want to live to God, I will live for my neighbor, for this beautiful new creation community, and for the lost. When we become like Jesus, you know who we become like? Finally, we become like ourselves. Who God made us to be. And our secret heart becomes our public face. And our behavior 
lines up with our beliefs. And what we had always hoped maybe we actually were, we begin to become. I think the question of faith is, you know, we must trust Jesus. And we can trust Jesus. But one of the most beautiful things about Galatians 2.20 is that when you think about it a little bit, we want to trust Jesus. I want to go where he's taken us. So as we conclude this morning, let me encourage you. This is going to be probably the vaguest and and least helpful uh, application of any sermon. But you you got to figure this out a little bit on your own. Do what you need to do to believe this to be true. That Christ is in you. That trusting him is what you want to do. You know, Paul, he, he tell, if you listen to Paul, Paul says in, Galatia, or in Romans chapter 6, 11, we've talked about this verse a couple times these last few weeks. So he's a, he comes to this point with the, with the Romans, he says, you just gotta, you gotta consider yourselves. You, you must consider yourself. Whatever you gotta do to believe this. Listen, you have to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You have to consider crucified with Christ and Christ lives in you. Do what you need to do so that your true identity becomes operational. Uh, one of our, uh, our baptismal, sort of uh, receiving the baptized person into the fellowship, we, we say what Paul says in Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleeper. Awake, O sleeper. You know what it was before Christ was in you? Before you were living by faith in the flesh? You know what you were? You were the Manchurian candidate. (laughs) Do you remember that that story? The sleeper agent, hypnotized to just go along with everything else and just become more and more corrupt and more and more jaded and more and more clouded in your thinking. You were asleep. And then Jesus says, awake. And you go, I can love? I can do this? I can, Christ is in me? Do what you need to do to believe this to be true. Because you know what would change if we believed that Christ was in us? You know what would, what would change if we believed that the Son of God loved us and gave Himself for us so that we could absolutely trust Him for absolutely everything? What would change? Everything would change. Do you want everything to change? <laughs> no. Right? No. I think we could all say But everybody here this morning wants something to change. If nothing comes to mind for you, ask uh, one of your friends or your your significant other. We all want something to change, so let's start there. What should you do now if Jesus is in your life to live this life in the flesh by faith? Let's start by include Him in things. Let me give you two very practical ways to apply this idea. Uh, first is to pause and pray, and the second is to practice testimony. I know I'm, I'm on testimony a lot this, these last couple of weeks, but just bear with me. So, practicing your testimony is literally the discipline of thinking about your life and your story and rewriting it in connection with Christ. If, if our relationship with Jesus is now the defining relationship of our life, that's going to take some, some work, right? That's going to take some work. That's not going to happen by osmosis. You're going to have to take 
some practical steps, I would encourage you to at some point begin to think about your life and think about your life as defined by your relationship with Jesus. And practically do the, the writing or talking, whatever you make marks and record ideas, practice testimony. And the second thing, this pause and pray, is to present your situations to Jesus, whether they're internal situations. Um, you, you know, some days you're just down, right? You've got an internal situation. And some days people around you are downers. You've got an external situation. Present these things to Jesus. I have had some extraordinarily insightful moments in my walk with the Lord and in understanding who I am in Christ by asking Jesus, what's your perspective on this situation? Right, so you're sitting at the operational controls and you just swivel your chair. Jesus, who is there, What's your perspective on this? <laughs> Every time I've done that, you know what's come to mind? Something I never thought of. What's your perspective on this, Jesus? Jesus, what would you like me to do? I'm always astonished by what comes to mind next. A lot of times it's David, just chill out. Sometimes it's, you got to go talk to him. Sometimes it's, you need a nap. And sometimes it's, you need to get up earlier and read your Bible. It's a variety of things. Because you know what? Jesus is a real person. And he communicates to us. And it's, it's interesting. Jesus, what's your perspective on this? The Gospel... Paul says in Galatians 2.20, crucifies our sense of self, but only so that the gospel can resurrect our true self in Jesus Christ. And this is the big idea this morning, that the story of your life, your true identity, is defined by your relationship with Jesus. You are Christ's. That is the truth, and that truth will change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the astonishing truths that it tells us so, so many wonderful things. And here's perhaps one of the most wonderful and the most astonishing. That for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have turned to him for salvation, Christ now lives in us. And Christ leads us to live this life by faith. And the life of faith directs us to live like Christ is in us. So Lord Jesus, we, we entrust this, this word, this message to, to you in our lives. We ask that you would direct every single one of us to take steps to see ourselves in light of this truth, to see this truth to be true, and to come to appreciate what it means for you to be in us. And Lord, we want to be a church where, where that hope 
And that driving, that driving truth leads us to, to prayer, to reflection, to preaching the gospel to ourselves and to, to sharing this good news with others as well. Lord, now as we begin to turn our hearts to to thinking about all that you have done for us, how you have loved us and have given yourself for us and to us, we pray that you would would awaken and stir up and, and hold us with faith, a stronger faith because of our time here. Let this word dwell in us richly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.